Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. It is so great to be with you again. My name is Jeff. I am one of the leaders here at Renaissance, and I want to take a break from our That One Thing series, which I think Stacy kind of mentioned already, and just share something with you um, that I've been working on and thinking about for the past couple of weeks. I want to start by saying this, that as we get ready to meet again with our in-person gatherings, which we're going to start doing in July, um, I want you to know I look forward to that. Um, I mean this sincerely, and this comes from a, a, an, um, an out and proud introvert, right? I tell people all the time, I am introverted by nature, but I am missing so many of you. I have come to realize that a lot of my friendships, strong relationships that I have in my life now, um, they have been forged um, here at the church that I've met many of you because uh, we go to church together. And the fact that we haven't been able to meet in person has been slowly chipping away at me, um, causing an ache to develop inside. Um, And so I tell you honestly that I am looking forward to getting together again. Um, But I want, want you to know this, I'm not looking forward to it by way of getting back to normal. Yeah, that's the saying that's going around now. I just want to get back to some sort of normalcy. I just want to get back to the way things used to be before this pandemic, before all of these uh, race uh, protests and riots and all this stuff took place. I just, can we just get back to some sort of normalcy? And I want you to know um, that's not driving my desire at all. In fact, if you're feeling that way at all, let me say this to you. Um, I would argue as a pastor that what you're longing for <laughs> to get back to normal is, is, is the wrong way to say that. There's actually a, a deeper, more spiritual thing that's taking place. What, what you would be looking for, what I would be looking for if that was my motivation, is that we would find our way back to the way God intended things to be. See, in the world that we live now, there's this tension from in, in the way that things are and the way that God intends them to be. What we're looking for is everything to be at peace, everything to be back to normal. Um, we're looking for uh, a way to not have to control things, but to settle into the reality that God is, in fact, in control of all things. There's a Hebrew word for this ideal, and it's called shalom, and you've heard of it before, probably. Um, it's used oftentimes as a greeting, shalom, or a goodbye, shalom. It's oftentimes translated as peace. But the, the, the Hebrew word shalom is more than just peace. It's more than just uh, the absence of violence or enmity or strife or war. It, it's, it's an ideal, The the Hebrew word shalom speaks to an ideal. I wrote this down. According to one Hebrew scholar, Klaus Westermann, shalom signifies the well-being of a human in all imaginable aspects. It stretches from the well-being of satisfactions and contentment about one's welfare to security, to being unharmed, including keeping healthy, to getting along with each other in every form of relationship. In rabbinic texts, shalom signifies a value. It's an ethical category. It denotes the overcoming of strife and quarrel and social tension, the prevention of enmity and war. Here's what I want us to understand as I start today. 
The Bible from the New Testament to the Old Testament is, is sharing a story, an arc, an overarching theme of God reestablishing shalom on the earth. That if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and see in the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, where God created everything, shalom was present there. There was peace there. Everything was exactly as God intended it to be. But at some point, sin entered into the world. At some point, sin comes into the world and it changes everything. Violence comes to the earth. Selfishness, pride, arrogance, drunkenness, sinful. I mean, you name it. All of those things came into the world because of sin. Now, I want you to know when a person like myself, a pastor stands in front of a congregation or a camera, as this is, and talks about sin, I want you to know how difficult it can be. See, see sometimes when I'll get up and stand and talk about uh, sexual immorality or fornication or greed or, or lust or some of those things, most people are like, yes, amen, let's talk about those things because we don't want those in our world. But when you talk about things like um, sexuality, for example, sexual immorality, or you talk about things like racism, for example, you're automatically called a bigot <laughs> or somehow you're being political in your ideals. So the challenge that I have today is to try to, to talk to you about the sinful world that we live in, specifically the sin of racism, and, and have you hear me that I'm not at all trying to make a political statement. What I'm trying to help us understand is that the ideal that God had made in the beginning and his intention for the world in its future through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, is that, that shalom would come back again, that we would live in perfect peace and in harmony with one another and with God. And to do so, the issue of sin has to be addressed. And, and that is through the work of his son, Jesus. But when we talk about sin, we have to first admit this, that, that racism is in fact sinful. Now, maybe for many of you, that's, you're like, oh, duh, that makes sense. But I want you to, if I could, if I could be very honest with you, I want to walk you through a process that I went through in the last couple of weeks. I, I sat in my office and I took my yellow legal pad and at the, at the top of my page, I wrote these words, is racism sinful? Now, before you think I didn't think it was, I want you to know I've always thought it was. That's not the issue. My question behind the question is, if it's sinful, which I believe, is why do I believe that? What does the, the Bible say about racism and it being sinful? And it, it started me on this quest, this journey to find out why I believe that racism would be sinful. And if it is, in fact, sinful, then why do I, as a pastor, this gives me the opportunity to then speak into that issue? And so I look through the New Testament. I see stories in Luke chapter 10. I think it's where Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know this well. It's basically a traveler's going from one place to another, and he finds himself being robbed and beaten up by some people. And a, and a priest walks by, a Jewish priest, a, a Jewish Levite walks by, and neither of them stopped to help this person, but a, a Samaritan stopped by. And he tended to his wounds, and he put him up in an inn and paid for his way that he might be cared for. He checked in on him. And Jesus says all of this to the uh, to explain uh, an answer to a question that was asked of him which one of these three people was being neighborly to the other person and he chose the fact that a Samaritan stopped to help another person because Jewish people had nothing to do with Samaritan people 
So we look at a story like that and we can see that there's tension between two different people groups. We can see the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, where Jesus uh, is talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman who comes out to a well to get some water. And, and in that story, we see that Jesus made an intention to walk through the area of Samaria where most Jewish people would avoid them. We see tension between Jewish people and other people. And there's racism there. There's another aspect here in, in uh, Galatians chapter two, where the apostle Paul um, confronts or opposes the apostle Peter as he's acting almost racially towards Gentile people. Where we, Paul would, or Peter would, rather would sit down and eat a meal with them. These Gentile people, um, these non-believers, these non-Jewish people, when no one else was around. But as soon as some people from Jerusalem came into the area, uh, Peter pulled away from the Gentiles. And, and Paul thought that was wrong. He says, you're acting sinfully in doing so. And so all that to say, I needed to look to scripture to find out if, if racism is in fact sinful. And so I have a, a deep-seated belief that it is. And I would pray that you too would do a similar type of work to, to figure out and to believe that racism is sinful. But the problem, as I already mentioned, is when, when someone comes up as a pastor like myself um, and begins to teach on these things, is that the, the, the people immediately sort of find themselves divided into two camps. They, they somehow think that this is a political issue. And when we see people divide into two camps, what we learn is that one side believes all of their ideologies and methodologies are in fact right and correct, and they think the other side is all automatically wrong. And the other side disagrees with their characterization of them, and so they, they, but they also think that their ideologies and methodologies are correct, and the other side is in fact wrong. And what happens is we get stuck in this vicious cycle just circle after circle. It's what I like to say. It's lather, rinse, repeat. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And in fact, it feels like our world right now that we seem to be stuck in this vicious cycle where racism has reared its ugly head again. We have to talk about these things. I want you to know, I'm not speaking here on the steps of Capitol Hill. I'm standing in a pulpit and I'm coming from a position of authority that I believe God has given me as a pastor. And I'm speaking to, to people who I want to believe are Christians. See, because I mentioned earlier that oftentimes two groups sort of find themselves opposed to one another. The conservatives are on this side, the liberals or progressives, progressives on, on the other. But I'm not talking about those groups. I'm talking about the church right now. I'm talking to people inside the church with the heart of a pastor trying to address people who call Jesus Lord. Because even inside the church, I'm seeing two camps develop. Two groups of people. Some think we should be responding in some way. Some think we should be responding in others. Some, thinks, some think we should say more than we are. Some think we should say less than we are. There's all kinds of differing opinions here. And so I just want you to know that I think we have it wrong if in the church we think that there are two sides to this story, because I think there's another side that we need to be paying attention to. And I would argue this is the greatest side that we should be paying attention to. And it's the way of Christ in this. Paul, the apostle, writes in Colossians chapter 3, and he says these words, if you have been raised with Christ, speaking, if you're a believer, if you've been raised with Christ, then you should seek the, the things that are above, 
that you should seek the things that are above where Christ is. And he continues, set your minds on the things that are above. We should be looking as believers, not just on the two different sides of this issue, which there are for sure, but we should also be seeking, trying to elevate the conversation above those two sides and their disagreements and differences and look to the mind of Christ and ask the questions, what does God say about this? What does scripture say about these issues in the church? I want to turn um, to Galatians chapter 5, and this is where I'm going to spend the bulk of my time today. And I want you to know as I uh, turn to Galatians 5, just by way of backstory, that this is really um, the retelling of a story where there's disagreements among Christians. That there's two different groups of people basically in the church of Galatia and they're disagreeing on some things. They're disagreeing primarily on the law, whether they should be following the law, specifically whether or not new Christians or Jewish or Christians should be circumcised if they're Gentile and come into the faith. And so Paul is addressing all of this and he's pushing back into the disagreement that these two groups of Christians appear to be having. But I want you to know this. At no point does Paul seem to be arguing, arguing for his point alone. At, at no point does Paul come into the mix, take one side of the argument and say, you guys over here need to believe what we believe. He doesn't do that. He, he elevates the conversation. He looks to the mind and spirit of Christ and he says, that's what we should be focusing upon. And so I just want to read a few things for you. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, that we should first and foremost, that we should love our neighbor as ourself. That we should be motivated first and foremost by, by love for one another. He says in verse 15, he says, if you bite and if you devour one another, he says, watch out because you might be consumed by one another. And then he prescribes this, I hesitate to say the word treatment because that sounds too medical, too clinical. But what Paul prescribes is, is greater than that. It, it's, it's a way of living where if we were to live the way he's about to explain to us, that it could, it could drastically and radically change the way we have uh, disagreements and the way we view one another in the church, whether they're progressive and liberal on one side and conservative on the other. But if we allow the Lord to speak to us through the writings of Paul, we'll see a third way. We'll see a different way to see things. He says in verse 16, he says, I want you Christians to walk by the spirit. And if you walk by the spirit, then you're not going to gratify the desires of your flesh or the, the desires of your human nature. And here's what, what he, why he warns against that. He says, because the desires of your flesh are against the spirit. And he says that the desires of the spirit are in fact against the flesh. These two things are in fact opposed to one another. So you can imagine just like this tug of war back and forth. And Paul says, Christians, believers, we should not be living that way. We should not be trying to satisfy the desires of our human nature or the fleshy parts of us, but we should rather be trying to, to satisfy the desires of the spirit that God has placed inside of us. And he tells us what some of the desires of the flesh look like. And I want to read this list to you. But I want you to know, as I'm reading this, 
I see our world right now. I see the culture around us right now. And, I, and because, because of that, I, I'm arguing that, that we're seeing these things because people are more uh, intent with satisfying their fleshy or fleshly desires, their human nature desires, than in fact, from, rather than follow God. He says, verse 19, here are some works of the flesh, and this is how you know they're evident. We see sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery. We could do weeks and weeks of preaching on those alone. But look what he says next. When the works of the flesh are evident, you're going to see enmity. You're going to see strife, jealousy. You're going to see fits of anger. I mean, that sounds like the world around us right now. Just turn on any of the cable news channels and they're filled with B-roll and footage from all of these cities across America and even the world where people just seem to be filled with anger. And not just anger. I want you to, if I could pause and take a little excursus here for a moment. Um, I don't want you to think because Paul's listing anger as a, uh, a work of the flesh that somehow it's, it's, it's always bad. It's not always bad. And, and, we, and I say that because Elsewhere in the Bible, we see that Jesus, our Lord and Savior himself, found himself angered at time. So I need you to picture this, that, that anger in and of itself is not necessarily immoral. It's actually amoral. It doesn't have, it doesn't go one way or the other, but it's what we do with our anger. You remember when Jesus went to the temple and he saw the money changers there taking advantage of people. And that it was in the temple, his father's house, where he said it should be a house of prayer. It was turned into something else. And anger welled up inside of Jesus and caused them to run them out. Jesus was also angered later when he was in the temple and he's asking the Pharisees questions and their hearts were so hardened, they refused to answer him. Jesus got angered there, but he didn't sin in his anger. The Bible tells us that we shouldn't even allow the sun to go down on our anger, which means this, don't ever, it doesn't say don't ever get angry. It just says when you're angered, make sure you deal with it daily. Make sure you address, make sure you address the issue of anger in your life. I think we could maybe say that this list should say the word hatred for one another. That might be another good translation. I think some of the other English translations actually use that word. So we'll see enmity and strife and hatred. We see rivalries and dissensions and divisions and, and all of these things. And Paul is just pointing to this reality. Most of those are all driven by the lust or the desires to satisfy the flesh. That when we're doing and participating in those things, we're not participating in the work of the Spirit in our lives. So we have to be, as Paul said, first motivated by the love for one another and then to walk in the spirit of God. And he goes through this list and finishes. And he says, but if you walk by the spirit instead, you'll see other things in your life. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these um, uh, fruit of the spirit that, that would be present in our lives if we're allowing the Lord to lead us that way. The challenge we have as Christians is, I think the challenge is this, first off, as I just think of it now, is we first have to be aware that we're satisfying our fleshly desires first. 
which I think is why it's so helpful that Paul gives us this list. Guys, when I'm reading this list and I found myself getting uh, divisive towards other people, thinking differently than others, I begin to realize I'm not, I'm not walking by God's spirit at this point. I'm actually satisfying some deep-seated desire of myself to be right in this particular situation. Or my opinion was somehow right and their opinion was somehow wrong. And I found myself back into that polemic, I'm right, they're wrong scenario. And that's not what God wants for us. When I see rivalries, divisions, <laughs> fits of anger, as a pastor, it breaks my heart. I've been saying this for weeks. I just don't think the church has been playing by the rules. And by the rules, I mean, I don't think they're following the ways of Christ. I have to, I have to say this, and I didn't plan on saying this, but it feels right. I need to remind us that the way of Christ is the way of the cross. It's, it's called the cruciform living, which just means this, that our lives are to model Jesus. And Jesus, when he was taking on the greatest enemy of all, sin, that he allowed himself to be killed on a cross for that. That he overcame sin by being overcome, if that makes sense. Jesus could have in any moment stood up and did it a different way, but he allowed himself to be conquered. He loved through all of that first and foremost. And in so doing, he, gave, he created for us an example to live. So we actually don't need to stand up on a hill beating our chest, proclaiming our rightness in all situations. Maybe the hill we should be standing on should look like the hill that Jesus died upon. And we should be standing there with a cross, laying down our own opinions, laying down our own desires, laying down our own um, need to be right in all things and follow Jesus. And in so doing, we allow the Spirit of God to produce these things in us. Paul continues to write in the next chapter, chapter 6, Brothers, he says, Now if any one of you, or if anyone is caught in any transgression, if anyone is caught in sin, he says, then you who are spiritual, you should go to them and restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Pastorally speaking, I'm just not seeing a whole lot of gentleness out there. And some could argue, Jeff, the time for, for soft speaking is over. The, the time for um, action has come. We have to address these things. And, 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 and I understand that completely. All I'm saying is, is we should do so through the Spirit of God. And when we do that, then we will bring kindness and meekness and gentleness. And we will be able to do so with gentleness towards one another. And if we can't do that, I wonder if we're in fact walking with the Spirit. So the question then is, where do we go from here? I think it would be good for us to remember that it's in fact God's kindness that leads people to repentance. That it's God's kindness, his loving kindness towards us that leads us to repentance, which just means to turn around and to think differently about things. It seems sort of backwards. It seems like if we're gonna make any type of change right now, then we need to go out and we need to force change. We need to go out and legislate change. We need to go out and make all these things happen. And, and, and I'm for all of those things. I'm, I have no problem legislating change. <laughs> I saw this last week that someone posted, when it comes to racism, a lot of Christians are just standing back and saying, we just need to preach the gospel at it and it'll take care of itself. But when it comes to the sin of abortion, we say, no, no, we need Supreme Court justices to do that for us. <laughs> you can't have it both ways. 
I think we need to, I think we need to be walking in the spirit. I think we need to be praying for change, but I also think we need to be working with our civic governances or governments. And I think we need to legislate change as well. All of that, all I'm saying in the midst of all of this is that we have to be led by the spirit of God in it. And when we do so, it will come across gently. I won't, I don't mind being opposed, just so you know. It's fine. If I'm wrong, I pray God show me I'm wrong. I, I have lived in a, a myopic view of my world where everything that I wanted was right in this now. And I learned early on that that's a dangerous place to live. It is imperative that I have someone from the outside continually telling me, Jeff, you've strayed from the truth here. Jeff, you strayed here. This is, that's an incorrect thought. And oftentimes God will use someone like my wife. Close friends of mine will tell me, Jeff, I think you're wrong. So I have no problem being told that I'm wrong. I have a problem being told that I'm wrong without love. That's the problem I have. I have a problem being told that I'm wrong to other people, right? But not to me personally. I have a problem with those things. And, and when I see those things, my, my pastor heart breaks because I feel like Christians aren't doing what God is asking of us to live by the spirit. I think at the end of the day, when we're looking to God establishing shalom on the earth again, when we're looking to God to reestablish his kingdom on this earth, and he's doing so, hear me first, primarily through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, and through Christians who call him Lord and Savior and set aside their own opinions, their own agendas, and serve the kingdom's agendas, serve God's agenda. This is that we need to do a couple things here. We need to first be a people that pray. When I, when I mentioned earlier that, um, that racism is in fact sinful, what I've learned that I, I can't get a person to change their mind on um, what, I can't get a person to change their heart um, if they're racist. I can't do that. But because I know that it's sinful, I know that Jesus can change their heart. And so what I've been able to do is I've been able to pray because I know when I pray, God is in fact acting. And when I pray for people that I know to be racist or seem to be operating um, with a, a racist mentality, when I'm praying for them, I'm believing that God can change their heart because I can't change their heart. I can't, I can't make them change their opinions and their views. I can't make them change what motivates them, but God in fact can. So I pray for others. And secondarily, when I read lists like this that Paul gives and I find myself being divisive and I, I, I realize I'm not, I'm not walking by the spirit, but I'm in fact walking like by the flesh. When I see that, I pray for myself. I let the spirit do his work when I read the Bible and, and hold it up like a mirror to myself and I see myself acting incorrectly in it. I let the, the word of God do the work inside of me like a surgical tool, cutting things out of me that I don't need. So we pray first, we work towards change. We want to see change in the world around us. Sometimes that work just looks different. Some people work, I don't know how to say this without, being too specific, I want to be generic here, but some people work this, this one way. They're going to gather together to, to protest, and I'm, I'm pro-protest. I have no problem with protest. Some people work that way. Others work a different way. And I think all of those things are important. 
I believe all of those are important. So we work for change. We pray for change. And then lastly, maybe this is one that we sometimes forget, is I think we need to celebrate, rejoice when we actually do see change. I think we need to be thanking God right now that, that um, we're paying attention to an issue that many of our brothers and sisters in the Lord, a lot of our black brothers and sisters, they've been crying about for decades. <laughs> and, and now we're starting to pay attention to it. I think we should rejoice in that, that God is allowing us um, to see the sin of racism that's, that's in the church, that's in the world around us. And we need to be thankful for that. And we need to not change, right? Um, and hope that things just get back to normal so that we can forget all of that. We should, we should be thankful that God is in fact letting us see these things. Okay, so I think I've said what I hoped to say. And, and it maybe sounded like I was meandering or wandering through my thoughts. But to be honest with you, that's, that's all I've been doing these last few weeks. As I sit down with my Bible, I sit down with a, a yellow pad and a pen and I just write questions and I seek the answers and I just consider things and I call friends and I talk and I just try to figure a lot of this stuff out. I wanna thank you, Renaissance, for allowing me to stand up here and to work through some of these things together. I wanna to thank you for allowing me to, to pastor you through some of these difficult times. I apologize if you think I haven't been saying enough. I, I do um, sincerely apologize for that. Uh, I, I've just always tried to live by that James 119 thing, to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And so um, sometimes it takes me a little longer to listen before I speak. And I also want to ask that you would just extend grace and mercy my way. If I've said anything that has offended you, that you would treat me as Christ would treat me with compassion, that you would treat others in the church with the same compassion that we might be a lighthouse for the world around us to look in and see, see, that's how you disagree with someone else. You do so in love, you do so in gentleness. You don't have to hate them to disagree with them. And you don't have to disagree with them to hate them. <laughs> so anyways, I just wanna pray for us. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the, the scriptures that you've given us. We know the story in Galatians chapter five isn't an exact you know, representation of what we're dealing with now. Their cultural situation was different than this, um, what we're experiencing now. But God, you showed an example of how Christians can disagree and still come to the right conclusion. They can still find Christ in the spirit of God and all of that. So we just thank you that you're leading us by your spirit. Lord, until we can meet again, would you continue to just strengthen our bond through Christ Jesus? That as we continue to meet online for church for the next few weeks, don't let us grow distant and apart from one another, but allow us to still be knit together by your spirit. Let us to love one another from a distance. And when we meet together, may we, may we do so um, and look with and look forward to, to, to getting back together to corporately worship and to study again together. Uh, Lord, we look forward to that. God, I pray for our world right now that the answer, not to be too simplistic, is in fact Jesus. Jesus is the answer for the world, and we thank you for that, Lord. And so, God, we just ask that Jesus would be known in the world. 
that those who don't know him, who do not have faith in him, to believe that he is your son, that he died on a cross to take away our sins, <laughs> that he raised from the dead. We, for those that don't believe in that, Lord God, would you just use your spirit to change their minds and their hearts? God, we want to be a people, as Jesus said, to be salt and light in the world. We want to add light to the dark things of our culture. We want to salt the the things in our world, right, that are wrong. And, and we just, we need your spirit to do that. God, we're not at war with our culture. If we're at war with anything, it's with the sin in our lives. And God, we have overcome sin in Jesus Christ. God, we know that you're going to establish fully the shalom for the world that you have. We know that's going to happen. And until we get there, God, make us to be people who pray for change in our own lives and for others, that we work for change through legislation, through other things, God, all of that, and help us to celebrate the small victories that we see, Lord. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.